suddenly got very quiet in here. Feeling some pressure. I wish I had a projector today, I don't, but there's a few things I wanted to share. I don't know how much you can see this, but it's a picture of two people talking to each other, and this huge cloud of color is coming out from someone's head, and one person's seeing, what the hell is that coming out of your head? Like this huge kind of wild colors. And the other person says, oh, just my mind. Anybody feel like they've got like a cloud profusion of flurry of thoughts and images and ideas and plans and worries and fixations and book ideas? <laughs> I was just talking at the break about my current book idea. So another picture for you. I wish you could also see this one. Maybe you can. some of you can see this. So there's a, a, a picture of a woman lying in this very relaxing kind of lazy boy recliner. And interestingly, I mean, it's advertising comfortable chairs, but the tagline for the ad is, imagine the sound of your own thoughts. <laughs> like, that's supposed to be relaxing? Like, I don't know about their thoughts, but my thoughts are not that relaxing. If I'm sitting on one of those nice lazy boy chairs, I do not want to be listening to my thoughts. <laughs> that would be the last thing that I'd want to be attending to. <clears throat> All right, last cartoon. Last. So um, there's a, uh, a meditation master uh, talking to his student. And uh, the master says to the student, I've never met anyone so thoughtless in my life. Keep up the good work. <laughs> the student says, thank you, master. But as a caveat, just so, you know, always good to put this caveat in, this practice is not about having thought-free meditation. You see these images like that image on Time magazine, you know, people blissing out in meditation. You know, the way the media likes to portray meditation as if it's always this bliss, thought-free, idyllic experience that we rarely have, but always think we should have and would like to have. This is not about clearing the mind or blanking the mind or having no thought. Because so the research reveals, I don't know how accurate the research is, but the, the latest is that we think 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day, or up to an average day. No wonder we're tired at the end of the day. There's a researcher at Stanford, I'm not sure if this was actually uh, hard data, but surmised that 90% of those we thought yesterday if you think about your thoughts, they're not exactly that original, right? The same worries, the same plans, the same to-do list, the same judgments, the same ideas, right? occasionally the odd original creative thought that we borrowed from somewhere. 
or read somewhere and then claimed it as ours. So, you know, the, the mind is an amazing thing and thought is an amazing thing. And, you know, we don't really have much idea still what thoughts are and how they arise, right? The mystery of how thoughts birth themselves, create themselves. Like in, in the meditation, how many thoughts did you consciously will into being? And versus the amount of thoughts that just arose seemingly out of the ether, or out of conditions. Right? You probably didn't actually conjure up many of them, many of the images, many of the daydreams and the fantasies. Right? They just arise seemingly. Right? According to these teachings, everything arises out of conditions. We just don't necessarily track the conditions that cause the various things, including thoughts, to arise. So, and yet our mind and our thoughts, you know, can be, as as the Buddha said, um, nothing can harm you as much as your own mind untrained. And nothing can help you as much as your own mind So, you know, our mind and our thoughts, you know, can create beautiful art and literature and poetry and architecture and music and philosophy and culture, even if it's not funded anymore. Um, And it can also uh, be a source of great misery and pain and judgment and uh, vehicle for hatred and ignorance and alternative facts and all kinds of things. So like with anything in this practice, with these wisdom teachings, the point, the, the orientation is how do we develop a wise relationship to our mind and to our thoughts? How do we become more clear, more conscious, so our mind is actually supportive of our own well-being and the well-being of others and the well-being of the planet? Ask, as you can see, when we meditate and look nakedly at our own mind, we see... um, as Mark Epstein once wrote in his book, we see thoughts without a thinker. The thoughts think themselves. And they're not exactly in our control. In fact, they're rarely in our control. Joseph Goldstein says, the mind has no shame. It will think anything at any time. Or as Upandita, great meditation teacher from Burma said, any thought can arise in any mind at any time. The most sublime thought and the most profane thought. And you may have had both in the same meditation. You may have been accessing a very sweet, subtle, sublime quality of presence as you sat. And no sooner had that experience 
metabolized that the mind said, look at me having this really sublime experience. Pretty good. I bet it's the most sublime in the room. In fact, I should be teaching this class tonight. It's so sublime. I think I'm done with this meditation lock. I think I'm there. Right? Mind does stuff like that. It just amuses itself. And if we can see it with a spacious awareness, we can amuse ourselves at what it says and does. If we believe it, then we're we're getting ourselves into trouble. So, I wanted to talk about one of my favorite themes in Buddhist teaching on a particular flavor of thought, particular flavor of mind, which the Buddha spoke to as papancha which means the proliferation of mind. The tendency and habit of the mind to proliferate based on certain experience. And it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting thing to pay attention to because it's what mostly distracts us in our, in our practice, in our meditation, in our cultivation of mindfulness. And it's also what, where we hang out most of the time in our, in our lives, in this proliferating, concocting, and uh, storytelling mind. And again, I want to... Uh, caveat to what I'm saying is there's, there's, as with anything there's both a healthy and unhealthy dimension to it the healthy side is that when our minds when we do let our minds free associate float, drift, wander you know, we can make amazing connections and amazing insights can arise amazing creative inspirations can come okay? rarely but they do most of the time, they're just drifting and worrying and ruminating in, in what neuroscientists call the default mode network, where we're ruminating about who? Not saving all beings. No, we're ruminating about ourselves. Maybe saving ourselves. <clears throat> and really, partly what mindfulness is, when mindfulness establishes itself, it's, it interrupts the default mode network. It interrupts this habitual, self-referencing, slightly negatively oriented, slightly future-oriented, ruminative process that doesn't necessarily lead to much peace or well-being. Even though the, the habit is to think about ourselves in the hope that we will we will sort of better ourselves in some way, improve our lives in some way. But actually, mostly it just makes us worried and self-centered and obsessed. So uh, the four ways, four main ways that this proliferating mind uh, gets triggered, four kinds of papancha. So I want to speak to all four and just to 
bring them as all these teachings are, that it's simply reminders for you to look at your own experience to see if this is true and to see how with awareness you can bring some, some uh, reflection or intervention or shift in behavior. So uh, the first kind of papancha is tanha papancha, which means the proliferation of thought based on sense desire, based, basically based on pleasure, based on pleasantness. And I, I wanted to refer to that in the meditation, but I didn't really want to keep breaking the silence. So based on pleasure, the mind proliferates. So think about your own experience. In fact, I've got another ad to show you. Again, I wish I had a mag- you know, big way I could project this on the screen. So, um, which way does the ad go? It goes, okay, here we go. So this is a meditation from the London Times. This is years ago. It says, so there's, a, there's an orange dot in the middle of this uh, piece of uh, paper. And it says, try this simple form of meditation but I need my spectacles to do it. Okay. It says, focus on this dot. Stare into it for a few minutes. See it as a door, an opening, a vessel into which uh, you are moving. Once inside, your heartbeat begins to slow. You feel peaceful, calm, serene. Right? Which is actually, this is a traditional form of meditation it's called casino, where you focus on, an, on a color. And on, a, on, a, on a disc. And then it says, you'll feel the same calm, serene when you open the door of an E-class Mercedes. <laughs> <laughs> this is called kind of what Trungpa Rinpoche called spiritual materialism of sorts, where our culture, as hungry as it is, co-ops meditation principles to sell stuff <laughs> like Mercedes. So why am I talking about that? Right, sense, des- sense, sensory experience and the proliferation. Right? Maybe, when, maybe when I held up that picture of a nice orange Mercedes, some of you already started proliferating. Like, oh, that looks cool. Maybe I should get a new car. I mean, in a way, you could think of the whole advertising industry as planting seeds in our minds so then we will proliferate about that which is unconsciously or consciously implanted so that the next time you're at Safeways or at Costco, you end up buying it. That is one of the outcomes of the proliferating tendency of mind is we want to therefore enact it and that becomes consumption. It's how the GDP keeps going in a way. Term samsara, the endless round of experience, right? partly driven by this tendency, this proliferating tendency of mind to want. Oh, what's that? Great, thank you. Great service. I should come here more often. <laughs> so you may have noticed in the sitting that you either were having a pleasurable experience or you were wanting a pleasurable experience and so you started proliferating. So a very common example happens in meditation. 
we're sitting, we come from our busy day at work, we drive here, we get here, and it's like, oh, finally, no kids, no cell phones, no emails, no meetings. I just get to be at Spirit Rock with friends. How lovely. Yeah, common experience. And you sit and you're enjoying the peacefulness and just this bathing in presence. And based on that pleasurable experience, the thought arises, oh, I want more of this. I should do this more often. How come I don't come here more often? Why don't I come every week? In fact, why don't I come and do a retreat? In fact, maybe I could apply for a job here. You know, they have this, you know, you know, I see every now and then they advertise, you know, for people and you know, I could I could move in and then I could always be this peaceful and I could just float to work and I wouldn't have to deal with the commute and everything would be so zen and I'd just be really you know, and we so we spend half an hour proliferating on moving to Spirit Rock and <laughs> you know, how great it would be and how enlightened we would be after a few years. and right? All because we had a pleasant moment of meditation. Right? And that is a metaphor for what we do all day. We have a pleasurable experience and the mind starts proliferating and it's, you know, it's, it's sort of survival circuitry driven how to replicate pleasure safety, etc. And we mostly don't catch that, especially if it's based on the pleasurable experience because the thinking about it creates more pleasure because we're fantasizing, imagining having this momentary experience expanded to my whole life and my work and living here and how great to walk in the hills after work and so we're having this very very pleasurable thinking experience so we don't care about the meditation at that point we're just having a great old time thinking you know we look really like we're you know sitting there meditating and we're just thinking right it's what we do a lot it's not a bad thing it's not wrong but just to notice if that happens. Or you're, you know, you're on the bus going to work and, um, you know, someone comes onto the bus with a nice, lovely, fresh roasted cup of coffee and you smell the coffee and you forgot to get coffee that morning and you start the whole bus journey is thinking about coffee and where you're going to get the best coffee and maybe you should buy a coffee maker and have them make it at home and get one of those latte making stirring things that makes it all frothy and you know and that's the whole bus ride is on proliferating around coffee again nothing unusual but all these all these times take us out of what's here take us into some imaginary future that will be replicating the pleasure that we're wanting now, pleasure that we're seeking. In relationship, we do this a lot, fantasizing about another partner, about a partner, about a prospective mate, whether we're in relationship or not doesn't really matter. 
the proliferating mind doesn't care about that. It proliferates about the idealized romantic spouse, partner. Maybe that was what your meditation was. You were getting tea, you were coming in, minding your own business, looking forward to meditating, and then someone who just fits your idealized image of whatever it is that you think is the ideal mate. And, and they meditate too? Wow. Bonus. Great. <laughs> Can't wait to talk to them at the break. So we spend our whole meditation scheming about our move, you know, or fantasizing about how great it would be to have this meditation, spiritual, romantic relationship. And we go on retreats together, and we meditate together in the morning, and we have spiritual children, and this whole, you know, great love story unfolds. And fantasy. But we, you know, we, we proliferate because, again, it's enjoyable. It's based on a pleasant sensory experience. And we, we have the habit of believing our mind. Anybody believe their mind? You know that bumper sticker, don't believe everything you think? That's because we do. <laughs> or we think a lot of what we think is, is true or valid or, you know. Spin off these, these, what we call in, in the Vipassana scene, the Vipassana romance. We have these imaginary romances. When you go on retreat and you're on retreat for a week or, or a month or three months, that proliferation goes on for a long time. You really do have kids and a house and you, know, you move to the country and, you know, and then you get divorced and it's all terrible and you've got alimony and, you know, and there becomes something else. So I just moved into a new house. Uh, and so my particular papancha right now, when I meditate, is of course what? It's remodeling. It's decorating. It's renovating. It's fixing the leaks. It's, you know, all the things one can do when you have a new house. Right? Color schemes. <laughs> Flooring. <laughs> Faucet design. Right? It's very visual very compelling, very tedious, (laughs) based on pleasant experience. You know, I'm driving up to Spirit Rock and I see a particular house that is close to the color I want to paint the house. So I'm imagining the color, different light, different shade, you know. Proliferate based on sense experience, based on pleasurable experience, which fuels desire, grasping, wanting, longing, attachment, deficiency, won't be happy till I have, all, the, all that fuel that these teachings point to a lot comes often from a very simple experience. <clears throat> And then the opposite is uh, moha papancha, which is proliferation based on unpleasant experience. And again, we see this in meditation. I was going to point to it in this sitting. It was was quite warm in here, probably for many of you. It was warm for me. And so we're sitting, and it's warm, and it's hot, and then it's kind of uncomfortable. And then why don't they put the air conditioning on? Is the air conditioning on? 
Do they have air conditioning? I mean, it's not very eco to put air conditioning on, but, you know, it is hot and we're meditating. But they have solar panels, so I guess it is okay to have air conditioning because it's just free, solar, you know. And maybe I should get solar panels because then I can have as much AC as I want. You know, I can just blast it, you know, really cold. I love it cold. But I have a flat roof, and, and Solar City said you can't put panels on a flat roof because they don't have the insurance. And maybe I should put a pitch roof, but that's expensive. And I should just put more windows in. You know. Why don't they put the air on? It's really, God, I just hate it. Why did I wear so many clothes? I don't want to move because they'll think I'm not very spiritual if I move. So <laughs> I'm going to look really spiritual. Because <laughs> the person I have a crush on is sitting next to me and I want them to look, think I'm really holy, you know. And so we go on this whole other papancha based on unpleasantness. And, and of course, because it's unpleasant, the source is unpleasant the proliferation is often more unpleasant or agitated. You know, why don't they? Why, why, is, why don't they get the air conditioning fixed up? What's that sound in the background? It sounds like, sounds like a hum. What's that? Why, why isn't it silent in here? What about these chairs? Well, how come they're not sloped correctly? Uh. We have some physical pain. Right? Talk to someone in the break having physical pain. Right? Not uncommon. Anybody have some physical pain here? Aches, pains, discomfort, right? About half the room. I ask the same question next week, the, the other half of the room. Based on unpleasant experience, based on we have an experience of unpleasantness, which we usually react to with aversion, with resistance. Spin out. Rather than simply being able to be with the unpleasantness, we start planning our whole health treatment. We've got, we've got aching back, and we go immediately to what's wrong with it. Should have gone to the chiropractor. I, should, I know I was lifting and twisting. They, never, they said, don't lift and twist. I don't want, why don't I take care of my body? I need to work out more. I should go to the gym, but I hate the gym. Ugh. Driving over here and someone told me about the seven-minute workout. I can do seven minutes. Seven, I, can, I can manage seven minutes. Let's do a seven-minute workout. But I hate gyms. And we go on this whole proliferation based on unpleasantness. Fixing, controlling, manipulating. We go a million miles from here. You know. Keep fit program, chiropractor, you know. And all that's happening is a little twinge in our back. Or another common proliferation. You wake up in the morning, and maybe this morning you wake up feeling depressed, right? Or gloomy, tired, or grumpy. As I did this morning, I woke up grumpy. You know, you just suddenly you wake up and sometimes you're grumpy. Where it comes from, you're just grumpy. And then, the, and then the, the proliferation that can arise around that is, oh God, the day looks really bleak. I got these meetings. Oh God, I hate meetings. And what we, we proliferate thinking, 
it's going to be like this all day. In fact, this whole week's going to suck. In fact, I just hate, you know, I just, I just hate life right now. I should move to Taiwan or something. I don't know. I hear it's nice there. And I don't know why I thought about Taiwan, but anyhow. I was more thinking Bali, actually. But. And so we proliferate based on some idea, some experience that's happening we don't like, and we proliferate into the future. And then we make ourselves miserable imagining it's going to be like that all day. You know? Anybody do that? And then you get up and you notice a nice day and you have a cup of coffee and you have some food and you see the dog and suddenly, oh, it's bearable. It's not too bad. You know? A bit of caffeine will fix most things. Some things. Anybody having any, was anybody having any proliferation about the rain? You know, we noticed the rain that we had a little bit of recently, you know, like a few months of rain. Any proliferation going about the hell's gonna slide into my house? <laughs> Never gonna stop. I don't care about droughts. <laughs> I want sunshine. about what's happening politically. Right? We hear one piece of news, you know, maybe you're on some of these alerts, I might get, I'm on a list called Rogan's List, which is a great synopsis of various uh, uh, happenings uh, in Washington and various ways to, to uh, engage proactively. Um, but I read the first line of the latest congressional uh, um, not congressional um, executive order, and I and then my mind proliferates wildly. Anybody doing that of late? <laughs> right. Again, not necessarily an, an unhealthy proliferation, but usually where our mind goes with it is not necessarily so skillful or expeditious with our time and energy. Often we'll go to catastrophe, we'll go to globalizing, we'll go to uh, disempowerment, we'll go to hopelessness, we'll go to overwhelm, because the proliferating mind gathers other other proliferating thoughts about other executive orders or other things that we seem to have uh, difficulty impacting. Okay. So it's a really interesting practice. I find it interesting practice when I get this list, when I get Rogan's list, I read, you know, there's about 20 different things happening each day and I read one and sometimes I'll just see if I can sit with what comes up. Rage, fear, Sadness, disbelief, hopelessness. See if I can work with that proliferating mind that doesn't spin me, my, myself out.
So, and then the third basis for proliferation is ditti papancha, the, the proliferation based on views and our attachment to views. We like our views. You notice whenever you're arguing in your mind that you're always right. <laughs> You're having an argument with your boss or your partner or your political opponent or someone across the aisle and you're having this righteous argument and you're right. It's very vehement because we're very attached to our views and our point of view that how we see the world is right or our ideology of how to enact a certain value is right. Favorite lines from these teachings is from a Zen master called Bankai, B-A-N-K-E-I, who said once, I think it's from like the 12th, 13th century, don't side with yourself. Caveat that more with a try not siding with yourself. Maybe less, less of an imperative order, but more of a, as a reflection. What would it be like not to side with yourself? As a not side with your point of view which means to hold your position a little more lightly so you're not so fixated on being right, but more open to actually seeing different points of view. Into a wonderful talk recently, I forget who was giving it. Oh yeah, it was, um, it was Chip Conley at the, at the Wisdom 2.0 uh, conference, and he said, uh, he said, the, wisdom, the, the elders of old were, there, were delivering, how did he say it? The, the, the elders of old were giving the, the right answers. I'm paraphrasing here. And the, the, the new elders are providing the right questions. Inviting us, encouraging us to to be curious, to inquire. Right? Look deeply. We don't necessarily have the right answers. We don't even necessarily know the questions. Never mind the answers. So, and and this this proliferating tendency, you know rises a lot in relationship to our views and our, and, our view, and our ideas about the world. And our views about ourselves and our spiritual life. One, one question I, or one statement I hear a lot when I'm working with students is, you know, my meditation should be better. I should be further along the path than I am. I should be over this emotional stuff, this grieving thing. I should be further along in my practice. Good luck. Well, where you are. We're always where we are. The mind has some idea of where we should be, based on who knows what schema of you know, analysis. It 
So those views can be very pernicious. I should be further along in my practice. And then we have a whole proliferation about all the things we should be doing to be further along in our practice, which becomes a never-ending self-improvement project. Buy a a few more books from the bookstore out there and a few more self-help books and call a therapist and, you know, sign up for some workshops. Not Not necessarily bad things to do. But to know where that where that motivation is being driven from. Places to see the papancha on in social media or online anywhere is, you know, you'll go, you watch a YouTube video or someone posts something on Facebook and then you start scrolling down the comment section and you start seeing how minds proliferate. Usually it goes down to an extremely bad common denominator. <laughs> it gets down to the lowest, rudest, insensitive, judgmental, reactive, attached points of view. I can, there's only so far I can read and then I have to quit reading the comments. It could be, no matter what it is, especially on YouTube, See, particularly, it, it's, it's a place to prevent their proliferation. It's bad enough having proliferation going on in your head. It's much worse to actually <laughs> speak it. <clears throat> you know, I think in the, in the political landscape, we're seeing a lot of proliferation you know, the proliferation around, around truth, the proliferation around facts, the proliferation around alternative facts. Want to know what we're proliferating based on with the shifting sands of what truth is supposed to be. So the last domain of proliferation, and really there's lots more, but they're the four, these I think these are four kind of primary ways that we proliferate based on certain things, is what's called manapapancha, proliferation based on identity, based on sense of self, based on me and you and me and my life, and my ideas and my dreams and my me, my, my world, my personality, my anything and everything. This is a, another cartoon strip of sorts. So there's a guy meditating, six different captions. And the first five captions, he's looking like a really good meditator. So the first caption says, in his, in his great posture, what my friends think I do. Second caption, what my parents think I do. Third caption, what society thinks I do. Fourth caption, what my yoga teacher thinks I do. Fifth caption, what I think I do. Sixth caption, what I really do. (laughs) Look at my watch and see when this damn thing is going to be over. Liferating based on selfing, based on thoughts and stories around, can be, you know, the book I just wrote on the inner critic, a lot of selfing 
oriented around self-judgment and around all the things that we're not, all the things we're not good enough at, all the ways that we're an imposter, all the ways that we coulda, woulda, shoulda. The whole, the hindrance of doubt, self-doubt, is the way we spin on not being enough. Anybody have a feeling from time to time that you're not good enough? Not good enough, fill it at, fill in the blank, I'm not smart enough, I'm not spiritual enough, I'm not mindful enough, you come in here, I'm not compassionate enough, I'm not Buddhist enough, I'm not awake enough, I'm not wealthy enough, I'm not, you know. The proliferations that the inner critic pick, picks up, this is, this is mana papancha, this is proliferation of thought based around some idea or view of yourself that's usually some kind of construct and some kind of inaccurate perception that causes a tremendous amount of pain. That's why I wrote the book, because it's such a painful thing when we believe the story-making of our critic. Same way the story-making we make up about other selves, other people. How many stories have you made up about people here tonight? You just look around the room. Look around the room. It's hard to look at someone without having a story. And if you look at them long enough without them looking at you, you'd proliferate a bunch about, you know, you look at their dress or their hair or their age or, you know, and the mind, and you see their car that they came in from and, right? and you start in the way they meditate and you have a whole story. Oh, they've meditated a long time. Look at them. They look so serious. Or whatever, you know, and we've just built these, these, these edifices of, of, of delusion. Projection. Projection is a proliferation of mind. That we take to be real. And again, none of it's a problem unless we solidify and take it to be true. And then behave and act as if it was true. Rather than actually maybe questioning the assumption or the projection or the, the idea or the proliferation. There's a wonderful book that I read and teach in the context of some work I teach. I work at Google and the Search Inside Yourself program. And part of that program is a piece on difficult conversations. And it's based on the book Difficult Conversations by Harvard um, School of Negotiation, something like that. Wonderful little book. I love the book partly because it's little. (laughs) And very practical around how to have difficult conversations. Five-step process. Anybody having difficult... Anybody say yes when they really mean no? Anyone raise your hand? Anybody avoid having those conversations because you don't want to upset someone? Right? There's many ways, many difficult conversations we don't have because you know, it's painful, difficult, whatever. Great resource. Highly recommend it. Anyhow, there's a piece in there that's really interesting that really dovetails with Buddhist teaching around identity. And they said, there's three things happening in a difficult conversation. There's the content, which is mostly what we focus on. What happened, who did what. 
Then there's the feelings, the emotions that get triggered by that. And then, more importantly, underneath that is the identity part of the conversation. And the identity part of the conversation usually has, you could summarize it in three different voices. Am I competent? Am I worthy of love and respect? Am I competent? Am I lovable? Am I worthy of respect? Or some variations of those three. So... um, for example, uh, a good friend has a blow, throws a party and you're not invited. Right? And you will have some feelings about that, for being left out. Right? The content, didn't get invited. Feelings, hurt, identity. Hmm. Am I not lovable? Am I not worthy to be a good friend? Right? That's the layer that really kind of churns. And that's usually at the basis of conflict. That, and that's where a lot of proliferation comes. And I've been reflecting over these last months when I'm noticing my mind selfing and doing proliferating about myself. It's usually around this level of identity. So a very simple example of how this happens. And this very kind of you know run of the mill. You're walking. You maybe you're leaving here tonight, and you walk. You walk out. And the person in front of you doesn't see you, so the door slams in your face. And you take that personally. Never sees me. Why am I so invisible? Why doesn't that person like me? We were sitting next to each other and they just slammed the door in my face. Like, what's, what, what's wrong with me that they would do that? Right? Innocuous example, but we make... Stories we proliferate based on a very simple data, and often it tunes right into the identity layer. Driving along 101, and for whatever reason, we're a little sleepy and we drift off into another lane. And the other person honks their horn behind us to wake us up. Might trigger an identity. Oh my god. Been seen as a terrible driver. What are they thinking? You know, I mean, not that we really care. We never see them again. But it triggers that very basic social uh, need to be accepted, to be approved of, to be liked, even from a total stranger you'll never see again. So to reflect in the ways that you proliferate around your sense of self. Maybe your partner wakes up tomorrow morning tired, grumpy, anxious, and they're very withdrawn, a little contracted, and not very communicative. And the habit can be, you know, okay, did I do something wrong? Stop ruminating about what we might have said last night that made them upset, you know, or some deriv- derivative of selfing in relationship to someone else. And then we start, or- and then we, 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 we land on something and we start orienting based on that perception as if it's true, or they really are mad, but that's because of such and such. And then we start doing this dance based on an idea that we proliferated on that we then create this whole reality. 
And then we find out later that they're you know, worried about something at work and they're just preoccupied and got nothing to do with you. And, they, you know, and all that worry and proliferation and defensiveness, and maybe we get hostile, why, come, why are you so, so shut down? And Story, story, story. Anybody make up stories about their partner? <laughs> right? Like all the time. Right? Unless we check it out. Hey, you see him, you see him quiet. Is there anything going on? Yay, nay. So, 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 so explore this, these realms to see you know, the, the, the amount that we're lost in thought. You know, as well, Buddha Das, a great meditation master, you know, said of, of, I'm not sure if he was referring to Western students or meditation students, three words, lost in thought. We're mostly lost in thought. Life goes by. Right? Sad, sad reality. And with mindfulness, we have the gift of being able to, to wake up, to penetrate through the cloud of thought and ask ourselves, do I really want to be going down this long train? You know, that lovely analogy of being, instead of being an eager uh, person to take a train ride out of the station, you become the station master who sees the train coming in and out and you see the train, my future retreat at Spirit Rock, and you go, I don't want to think that thought. I actually just want to stay present. Or the thought of my relationship woes. No, I'm not going to get on that train because that just is never-ending torment. Or my bank balance and my 401k worries. I'm not going to take that train. Sometimes, you know, there's a there's a uh, archetypal uh, image of wisdom. Manjushri carries a sword. The sword of wisdom cuts through delusion. Sometimes with our awareness, we cut through the, the meandering, proliferating mind and we just say, enough, stop. Not going down that train. Wake up. And we, we reorient ourselves to the physical, imminent present. When we turn the lens of awareness to thought, we see how ephemeral and insubstantial it is. Right? We build these whole castles in the sky that are exactly that. When we believe them, they seem really real. That story we're telling ourselves about our boss being mad with us because we're delayed on a project may just be a story. Maybe they would like the project to be on time and that projection of frustration and anger is, is your proliferation. Maybe bring some inquiry to, to those thoughts. Is it really true, the proliferating mind about how unworthy you are or not good enough you are? Can we question those thoughts? Question those views that proliferate so many thoughts about us, ourselves and our deficiencies? Notice the space between thoughts. Can we enjoy the space between thoughts? Can we see 
how refreshing it is to be not consumed in thought and actually to be alive in the present. I'm always amazed when I go hikes. I've been hiking a lot recently because it's been so gorgeous, but I hike a lot in the rain too. It's also my favorite time to hike. And at times I'm incredibly immersed in the, in the forest or the hills. And at other times I'm proliferating about building a cabin up, at the, up in the top of the woods there, you know, or a little shelter where I can meditate all day in the, in the woods, in the shade at the top of the ridge. And then I wake up and I'm like, what a waste of time. <laughs> I am hiking 45 minutes to get to the top of the ridge to enjoy the view from the ridge and all I'm doing is thinking about planning a platform that I can be at more of in the future as opposed to being there now. <clears throat> it's a good idea, but you know, I'm not going to waste my time on the hike thinking about it. Mostly because it will never happen because one, I don't own the land and they probably wouldn't let it happen anyway, so like, just drop it a nice idea, but come on, got a life, just sit on top of the grass, why not, that's a nice thing to do. With our practice of awareness, one of the things that we're learning to cultivate One is this quality of bare attention, where we're present to direct experience, unmediated through concepts and ideas and proliferation. Sometimes called non-conceptual awareness, many other names for it. So, So you see this plant, flower, orchid, or whatever it is behind me. Can we be with the simplicity of that immediacy of experience unmediated through our ideas and stories and memories and biological classification and simply be present to flowerness, the isness of the flower, of the plant? Rather than, ah, like one of those on my dining table. That would look nice. I know they come in pink and red too. I like the red ones. They're really bold. And we proliferation, you know. How juicy and immediate and yummy and lovely and satisfying and rich when we drop the concept and story and proliferation and come into the direct experience, which is mostly what we're craving. That is that intimacy with life. Thoughts, as wonderful and as creative as they can be, especially this proliferating tendency, takes us away from that intimacy, that immediacy, that pulsing aliveness that we can sense out in nature. It wakes us up to our senses, to to our animal nature. It's beautiful, wild, immediate. It shocks us sometimes with its beauty and its vibrancy and its aliveness and diversity. Nature retreats to help, you know, because it's easier to wake ourselves up from our storytelling mind.
So as we sit here quietly just to, to end the evening, of course, giving a talk, there's lots of, talk, lots of thoughts and ideas and, and whatnot. And the point is to take us sort of beyond them. I invite you to let all those words go, all those concepts. Just drop them. Okay. May I ring the bell and um, just be present to the immediacy of hearing. I mean, you might notice that you like the bell and want to buy one and take it home, and uh, <laughs> right? And they go like bell, sound, vibration, because <laughs> we're like that. with a couple of quotes. The Buddha said, they who have given up papancha, this proliferating tendency of mind, has found the bliss of nirvana. There's a whole body of teachings around, he gave around when we cease this proliferation of mind, how we come to the immediacy of our sense experience. Close with this uh, haiku from Ryokan. Perfect, since we have full moon tonight, or was it last night? Last night, which was really amazing. I saw it rise. Beautiful. So he's a very poor, simple hermit, pilgrim, monk, lives up in the mountains, very little possessions. And one day comes back from his wanderings and he notices he's been burgled, right? Taken the few remaining possessions, firewood, incense. I don't know what else he has. writes this haiku. The moon at the window the thief has left behind. That is a non-proliferating mind that meets the immediacy of a difficult experience and can write poetry. That's one of the fruits from that. Thank you for your attention. Pleasure being with you. And uh, see you again sometime next month. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.